0: Welcome back to Classic Vinyl Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Justin, and I'm here today with my other host, Tyler. Mm -hmm. I'm here. And we have a special co-host this week, my son, Austin, once again. Hello. Welcome
1: back, Austin. You've been with us before. Yes, I have.
0: He was with us for the Love Album Review, Forever Changes. Glad to be back.
1: We are glad to have you back. So this week, we're going
0: to do something special. We've got a two-part episode of The Who and their great album, Quadrophenia. And of course, we're doing this for the 50th anniversary release of this album, and
1: it was released on October 26th of 1973. So you'll you'll see this from time to time when we have a special anniversary, we will release an, an anniversary review. With this one, it's so significant that we had to split it up.
0: And of course, we'll do episode two of the second vinyl will be released next week. Let me give a little bit of history on The Who first. They're, of course, an English rock band formed in London in 1964. They consist of Pete Townsend, who is the main composer, songwriter, and guitarist, Roger Daltrey, vocals, John Entwistle on bass, Keith Moon on drums. And they basically formed Townsend, meant Entwistle, while attending high school in London, so they knew each other fairly well. Entwistle actually joined a band named The Detours with Roger Daltrey, and then Townsend soon joined after that. And moon joined shortly after that they came up with the band name the who but they changed their name to the high numbers for a little while and then back to the who they liked how that looked on posters and i think it's an excellent band name so the who's sold over 45 million records worldwide which isn't too bad honestly So the Who arrived in the U.S. basically is the second wave of the British invasion. You know, you had 63, 64 when the Beatles and those guys all came over, and then the Who were more like 66, 67. Ah, the reinforcements. Exactly. And the Who is very well known for their live chaotic Performances. Pete Townsend smashing his guitar, Keith Moon kicking over his drum set, blowing it up, and, you know, they really represented a new dangerous streak in rock and roll
1: music. Oh, Keith Moon treats his drums like a red-headed stepchild. Yeah. Oh, he certainly yeah. does. And, you know,
0: Pete Townsend, well-known for busting his guitar on mm-hmm. stage, that actually all started as an accident. He threw his guitar up, and it stuck in the ceiling, and everybody cheered, mm-hmm. fell down and broke, and he's like, okay, we've got something here. All right. You know, but mm-hmm. he, he spent a lot of time putting guitars back together, especially in the early days when he couldn't afford guitars, but people expected to see him smashing them. Oh, gee. Yeah. (laughs) And and you know, the Who didn't become superstars really commercially until the release of their first rock opera. Well, I should say their second rock opera, but Mm -hmm. their first rock opera album, which was Tommy, and Mm -hmm. that was in 1969, and especially was popular in the United States is where it really hit and really kicked off their popularity and it i mean it really propelled the who into one of the biggest bands of the 1970s. I would say Led Zeppelin probably top as far as commercially and the who right there with them as rock and roll bands. They had a farewell tour in 1982. Of course Keith Moon had died previous to that, but the band got back together in 89 and in the 90s up until the time of John Entwistle's death in 2002. And, you know, Townsend and Daltry are still touring as the Who to this day. In fact, I've seen them a couple times live, you know, in their latest reincarnation of Daltry and Townsend as Old Man. Austin, wow. of course, <laughs> has seen them with, with me once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good concert, especially for 60 year old. Well, 70-year-olds, I should say, yeah. at the time. <laughs> yeah, and out of their albums, you know, Tommy is their best-selling album of all time with just over $20 million in album sales and Who's Next, which I think is far superior to Tommy in a lot of ways, but it's had Mm -hmm. $4 in album sales. They released 12 total studio albums, 10 of those studio albums from 1965 to 1982. They released one album in 2006 and one album in 2019. They released 16 live albums. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think The Who are the best live band ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, hands down. Uh, live at Leeds is probably one of their most popular live albums. I shouldn't even say probably; it is, and it. If you haven't heard it, it's an amazing album. Twenty-seven compilation albums, which doesn't seem like a whole lot when we had we did the Zombies episode not too long ago, and I think they had about the same amount of compilations off of two studio albums. Yeah, kind of strange. That was a little bit odd, but but they've also released yeah. four EPs and four soundtracks. Now, the first two studio albums were different in the U.S. and U.K., something we've talked about with the Beatles and things, how they had different U.S. and different U.K. albums. uh, Their first album, My Generation, in the U.K. was actually called the Who Sings My Generation in the U.S. and had a little bit different song lineup. And their second album, a quick one in the U.K., was called Happy Jack in the U.S. And then after that, they were all kind of standardized. (laughs) So out of their albums, 10 albums in the top 10 in the U.K., and All of their albums in the top 20 in the UK. Who's Next hit number one. Quadrophenia, Tommy, and Face Dances hit number two. This is all in the UK. In the US, they had nine albums in the top 10. Quadrophenia and Who Are You were number two. Who's Next, Face Dances, and Tommy hit number four in the US. So pretty impressive for what their studio albums have done. Absolutely. They've released a total of 58 singles. 14 of those singles were top 10 in the UK. Only two of them reached number two. They never had a number one single. I'm a boy in my generation. And 28 of those 58 singles were in the top 50. They actually even had less success on their singles in the US in a lot of ways because they had 20 of them hit the top 50. And I can see for miles was their top hit in the US as far as the singles charts and it only hit number nine. Oh wow. Just kind of crazy. But even when you talk about Led Zeppelin also being a huge band, they didn't have a number 1 hit in the US either. I I think rock and roll, I mean, although it was more mainstream, it wasn't super mainstream, right? It wasn't the pop lovey-dovey yeah. stuff like
1: the Beatles were releasing and things like that. Well, th- this was a sound that was more hardcore and it it rang what? Uh it rang a, a familiar chord with the Brits stronger than it did with uh, the Yanks. But even still, they didn't have a number one single mm-hmm. in Britain, which is kind of crazy. Well, that, that's just embarrassing because, you know, what is wrong with you people on that side of the pond? Well, and I'm i am
0: not going to disguise what my feelings are of The Who because I've said it before. I think they are the best rock and roll band there is. I, I don't think there's four better players at what they do than here. I think Roger Daltrey is probably the best vocalist in rock and roll music. Pete Townsend, maybe not the best guitarist, but highly underrated and an excellent guitarist. But as far as his writing skills, amazing. Mm -hmm. John Entwistle, hands down the best bass player ever. And Keith Moon, in my opinion, hands
1: down the best drummer ever. See, and I'm just gauging them purely off of their looks. Um, (laughs) I I don't care what they sound like at all. But Roger Daltrey is carrying this band on his shoulders. Yeah, you could look at it one way, but yeah. other other, <laughs> other than Pete Townsend writes everything they've had, right? Yeah, but Mr. Pete Townsend's not as easy on the eyes as Roger Daltrey. He, Roger Daltrey's pretty. That's true. <laughs>
2: I mean, have you seen him as they're older, though? Y- yeah, and <laughs> Roger Daltrey's still a pretty
1: good-looking <laughs> he, old man. He has a lot more hair than Pete has. Yeah, Pete Townsend, yeah. he's just got this big old honker of a nose, and you know what? That doesn't do well on the album cover
0: well you know and i think with pete he cemented his legacy with tommy Mm -hmm. i mean that was something that hadn't been done a rock opera to that extent and then you get who's next comes along which is another
1: for me top album everybody in this band is just like oozing talent everywhere they're all so loaded with talent yeah but only one of them's really really good looking Good point. You know,
0: they're, they're definitely innovators behind some of the rock music's most daring experiments. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at rock opera, you look at feedback, you look at power chords that basically Pete Townsend created and, and to start it all off with the destroying of instruments and the explosions on mm-hmm. stage and just being kind of early shock rock, you know. and mm-hmm. And The Who, if you listen to their sounds, they have everything from heavy rock to really simple acoustic songs, and you mix in these rock operas and things, and there's a lot of thinking man's music too, and I mm-hmm. am normally not a lyric guy, but you kind of have to be for some of this stuff.
1: Oh, I've noticed that very strongly. There's a lot of metaphor in this album.
0: Yeah, there definitely is. Do you guys want to get to the album review? I think so. And now
1: it's time for the album review.
0: Okay, so today... On the first part of our episode, we're going to review side one and side two of the first vinyl of The Who Quadrophenia. And Quadrophenia is the sixth studio album released by The Who. It was released on October 26th of 1973. It was released on track and MCA records. It was recorded at Olympic and Ramport Studios in London. I'm not sure what songs, but some of it was recorded in Ronnie Lane's mobile studio as well. And, you know, this album was supposed to have the quadraphonic sound, and it just didn't come through that way. And I I guess it's kind of a double meaning, too, because you got Jimmy that has the four personalities, you know, and so Mm -hmm. that all goes together. But it's an interesting album. This was produced by Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp, who were the Who's managers, Mm -hmm. along with Glenn Johns. He actually produced Is It In My Head and Love Rain Over Me, and Glenn Johns famously produced a lot of the Beatles stuff and, and many other artists, more than you can name. This is actually The Who's third rock opera behind Tommy, of course, or after Tommy, I should say. And they had a mini rock opera called The Quick One While He's Away. It's about a 12-minute song, but it was their (laughs) first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It was their first uh, mini opera. And this is actually, even though Pete Townsend is their main composer, this is the first album from The Who that Pete Townsend composed every song on this album. Wow. I did notice that. So, and this album is basically about Jimmy. He's this working class mod. You know, he's, he struggles with four different personalities, struggles with life. He's kind of involved in the mod versus the rockers thing. And it, it a lot of it emanates from Pete Townsend's life and his writings and how he felt about things as a mod as well. And again, this album reached number two in both the U.S. UK and Canadian chart. And it's kind of funny because there really wasn't a hit single or anything off this album, which really shows when we go back to talking what we were talking about on the singles, they weren't hitting heavy radio play, but the albums were selling. So in Rolling Stone, for once again, what it's worth, ranks this as 267 on the top 500. Right there is the very reason you hear me say, I don't believe in Rolling Stone Mm -hmm. and their charts, because I am the hypocrite that gives that little tidbit on our episodes, but this album, in my opinion, is top 10. Mm-hmm. That's where I lay. All right. So this album sold almost one and a half million copies. It's certified platinum in the U.S. by the RIAA. Uh, there was also a film version of this movie, just like there was Tommy in 1979. And the movie was actually a commercial and critical success. Tyler and I were talking about that before. I don't think Tyler likes
1: the movie very I, much. I don't like the Well, it, the movie's well-made. I just hate the character. (laughs) No, I I think Tommy's a lot easier to watch, but mostly because, you know, Roger Daltrey is Tommy.
0: Well, and they use the real music and the real musicians in that. So it's a little bit different than you Mm. get the soundtrack to Quadrophenia. I think they should have used the
1: band in that in a different manner. Well, once again, I think that this movie could have been, it could have really been helped by having the, um, the addition of Paul McCartney's granddad. Added to it, yeah, the, yeah. that'll <laughs> always help any movie. He, he makes any movie great. He's yes, a troublemaker. I I agree, but he's exceptionally clean. He's very
0: clean. So there's been several versions of Quadrophenia released over the years, and I own all of them for some reason. That that comes in the completest nature of me with certain bands. You know, they've released them with several remixes, outtakes, demos, new songs, different things like that, and they're they're all good. But I I really like sticking to the original recording of. It's nice Mm -hmm. to sit down with it on vinyl and just listen to it how it was meant to be. Now, the cover on the album is kind of interesting. It was a photo by Graham Hughes, and it actually arose out of an argument between Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. Pete Townsend, he doesn't like the cover they ended on, but Daltrey suggested that the members of The Who be on the cover no matter what. And so basically, you've kind of got a picture of the back of Jimmy. It's in black and white. He's on his GS scooter. Yeah. And in the mirrors, and you barely even notice. In fact, when I was showing Tyler the cover, he's like, oh, there they are. You yeah. barely notice the who the band members faces in the little mirrors.
1: Yeah. So Pete Townsend, I mean, get over yourself. Your your big old nose is not taking up the whole mirror that you get, which, you know, is like a centimeter square. Good if, point. If that. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's not that noticeable, Mr. Townsend. And on the back.
0: You have the scooter. It's kind of sunk in the sea. Yeah. Kind of tells, you know, a little little bit foreboding foreboding Mm -hmm. of what's Mm -hmm. happened with Jimmy. And I don't know if that's him ditching it in the sea or if he drowned or
1: who knows. Uh, These GS scooters, um, the style, like, had all these mirrors up and down both the front sides of it. All these rear view mirrors. So you can, you know, have a really good idea of who's trying to run you down on the road.
0: Yeah. I actually kind of like the cover just because it's Mm -hmm. simple. You know, and this this is a Who album I discovered later after. You no, know, I was really into mm-hmm. their hits. I was really into Who's Next and stuff like yeah. that. And I found Tommy, and then I found Quadrifida, and it, in my
1: opinion, blows Tommy out of the water. I wonder what uh, Pete Townsend wanted the cover to be, if not this, because this is a beautiful cover, really. I mean, artistic wise, it's it's great for yeah, I, for what the album is. It's an excellent cover.
0: Yeah, it it looks good. So, do you guys want to get to side one? Yeah. I'm ready. Here we go. Side one. Okay, so the side one opens up with I Am the Sea. This is a song written by Pete Townsend, of course, and that's going to be the case on all of them. And I put on our notes that it's sang by Roger Daltrey, but it's really not because you have little little foreboding of songs to come. This is basically an overture of the album. And this is the shortest song on the album. It's basically an instrumental, and it's just over two minutes long. You know, it has the background lyrics that set the stage for basically for the intense emotional journey that lies ahead in this album. If you really want to pay attention to lyrics, because like I said, I'm not a lyric guy, but this is one. If you want to follow the story, you do need to pay attention to the lyrics, but you don't Mm -hmm. even need to do that if you just want to hear the music.
2: So, Austin, what are your thoughts on this one? I like this song. I I think it's a good start to the album. Like you said, like a good overview of what's to come. Mm -hmm. It's a good one.
1: Yeah, Roger Daltrey uh, hits um, some of the main, if not the titles to the songs, he hits a lot of the main choruses or lines from those songs that we're going to hear.
0: Yeah, you hear the real me in there, you hear Bellboy, you hear Love, Rain mm-hmm. Over Me, and it, and it kind of introduces us to the sea theme, too, because yeah. you're... You feel it's, you hear the sea, you're yeah. at the beach, you know, you hear that. Lots of ocean waves throughout this song. Yeah, it's a good it's a good way to start the album just mm-hmm. as a little overture and it's something they kinda done on Tommy as well. Right. And it kicks straight into the second song, The Real Me, which of course again is written by Pete Townsend and sang by Roger Daltrey. And this is really kind of introducing you to Jimmy and his four personalities and the struggles he's having you know, to deal with his four personalities and to find himself within this. What are your thoughts
2: on this one, Austin? I like this one. I think it's a good introduction to the instruments of the song, Um, especially, you know, the drums um, and the vocals from Roger Daltrey. I think it's a good introduction and kind of also sets the track for what's to come. Music-wise, this is a beautiful introduction to the band. Like
1: you say, Austin, lyric wise, this is like the whole subject of this is extremely psychological and uh, about the angst of growing up and being a teenager and trying to that struggle of trying to find out who you are. Uh, I mean, there's so much of self-discovery of trying to to fit in and find your place in the world and find who your group is, styles you go with. But then there's, you realize as you mature that you get so much more of like uh, choosing what you're going to be. And that's part of being grown up is, you know, not trying to discover who you are so much as you're trying to consciously decide what you're going to be and who you are. What did you think about this one, Justin?
0: Well, I think it's a good introduction to Jimmy and the issues he's having, you know. And I don't know if they're issues that are like schizophrenic or if this is just general childhood malaise of some sort i don't generally like horns in songs and things like that but john Entwistle plays the french horn in this and it's amazing the bass is absolutely amazing in this i mean especially during the choruses if you really pay attention to the bass line in the chorus it's got that choppy pete townsend guitar that he plays really well. He's mm-hmm. a messy guitar player. A lot of people compare him with um, Jimmy Page in a lot of ways. Jimmy Page is very, very clean playing, and he gets mm-hmm. that from being a studio musician. Pete Townsend is very rough and choppy playing, which I mm-hmm. actually quite enjoy. I wrote this note, crazy bitch-ass drumming, because yes. the drumming in this whole damn album, <laughs> and not just this album, The Who in mm-hmm. general, You know, where a normal drummer would do a tiny bit of a fill, you get quadruple that in and I don't know and people will argue with me and send send us in your emails if you want to argue with me about him being the best drummer of all time but he's absolutely amazing he yeah. does it we talked about this while we listening to it he, he does it in a way without interrupting the songs too it, it's almost like a lead instrument in some cases you know and mm-hmm. he does it so well and you're going to hear me repeat this over and over throughout this I mean he's just an amazing drummer John Entwistle, the best bass player of all time. He people well know if you've listened to the Who that he uses that as a main instrument too. You know, a lot of times Pete's playing off that, so it's it's crazy.
1: Oh yeah, that each of these uh, band members brings it, and they're all masters of their craft. Yeah, completely. Yeah.
0: So that moves us on to Quadrophenia, song three, which is the first of two instrumentals on this album or kind of three if you want to consider the first one an instrumental mm-hmm. but this is a straight instrumental it's a little over six minutes long of course this was written by pete towns and what are your thoughts on this one austin
2: i like this one as well i think it's kind of uh no i think it's almost like a second overture an intro to the album kind of just a condensed version of the album kind of set in the the tracks still
1: yeah yeah and all of this said with instruments that this is a thing about these instrumental songs is I'm so impressed by how well they get a message across using just instruments, no vocals. You know, it really comes through. These guys are, they're phenomenal. Each of these guys are so good. So what do you think about this uh, This instrumental quadrophenia?
0: Kind of like Austin said, I think it's definitely a second overture type of thing that introduces us to other songs. It foreshadows Love Rain Over Me. It's got a great guitar in it, great drumming once again. I mean, what can you say about that? This song reminds me of Tommy a little bit, Mm -hmm. just the way the song's put together, and the bass is great in it again, and Pete's playing the synthesizer in this, and I really like the way it's used, and I'm not a huge synthesizer fan, but the Who were one of the first bands to really implement it, and I like the way they do, because it's not overpowering or leading the song, it's just used to kind of do little markers in there, and I think it sounds really well.
1: Yeah, you know, the way that you, you say that it harkens back to Tommy, but this song particularly, the way that they use that synthesizer, this is more, I think, ahead of its time. This is a sound that you hear very much um, in the late 70s to the 80s. Very popular sound that this uh, synthesizer brings to it that you don't really hear in other sounds. And this is in 73. And this is way ahead of its time. Well, yeah, and what's good about it, too, is that it's used kind of lightly.
0: You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. overpower everything. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. So that moves us on to song four, Cut My Hair, written and sang by Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey together. It explores the theme of fitting in and, you know, identifying with societal expectations. It's, it's kind of the dilemma Jimmy faces between wanting to be accepted by his peers and staying true to himself, you know, all at the same time as being seen as an outcast, which is kind of childhood in a nutshell, right? Yeah. You know, his his, talks about his fashion choices he makes to fit in and trying to make his parents happy at the same time, although his mother discovers this box of blues while cleaning his room. And Mm. a lot of people say that refers to drugs she found or records or something like that. It's not really clear, but take it for what it is. What are your thoughts
2: on Cut My Hair, Austin? Again, I think it's a good one. The one thing that I really like about it is how well their vocals work together, um, both Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. And I think it, I think it's an easy one to follow lyrically. I think it's, uh, even if you don't follow lyrics a lot, it's still very easy to understand. And it tells a very great story. That's a good thing about this album, though, too, is if you don't follow the lyrics, you
0: can still follow the music. Yeah. You know, and I that's agree. what's kind of fun about it. And you can kind of do your
1: own looking into it. What are your thoughts on this one, Tyler? I think that's one of the things that uh, makes the writing of this album. So top notch is that these guys are all masters of their craft. And the music is saying is telling the same story that the lyrics are. So one yeah, you're absolutely right, Austin. You don't have to be able to uh, understand what they're saying or be a lyric person in order to get what this music is about. And th- this really captures that angst of growing up and you know trying to fit in and you know, but at the same time trying to be true to yourself. And how do you be true to yourself? If you don't if you don't really know who you are yet. But the and part of that is also. Uh, experimenting with different things and um, you know, doing the the heavy drugs. I mean, we all have done that, right? No, I have been told several times, don't ever do drugs. You're dangerous the, enough as you are. There's
0: certain people yeah. that need to do drugs, and there's mm-hmm. certain people that need to quit doing drugs. Yeah, and I've been told I
2: should never even try it. I think it is a very relatable song, though. I think that's another good way to put it.
1: Yeah absolutely very relatable what are your thoughts about this one justin you know
0: i always look a little further into the music on these things Mm -hmm. but this is definitely an album i pay attention to the lyrics it's got a really good soft guitar intro with with pete townsend's vocals which i really like i really like the imagery in this you know it's got once again the bass is absolutely amazing top-notch the drumming's crazy and Mm top-notch i mean every single song you know I like the way they use the piano in this. I'm not a huge piano fan, but this is kind of what I'm talking about when they use it with other instruments on top and don't necessarily feature it. I really like the Pete Townsend back to the Daltrey vocal, the way it kind of Flips back and forth. You know, it speeds up in the pre chorus and myself to death to fit in, Pete. And it also kind of ends where he says, A fried egg makes me sick first thing in the morning. And I've always really, <laughs> I just really like the imagery of the lyrics in this song. I like the music. It's almost like three songs with daltry vocals and
1: then and vocals. And I like how that plays off of each other. It's amazing the way that they use all of this to tell that same story. Cause like even the instruments. The piano is a very traditional instrument, very uh, old person type instrument, right? So when you bring that into a rock and roll song that's about a young man trying to fit in with his peers in a rising generation that the previous generation obviously doesn't approve of, because the previous generation has never approved of the rising generation. He's also trying to have the approval of that old generation. So they bring in that piano and try to make that fit in as well as part of the whole way that they, that this whole song works. I mean, this album is a beautiful work of art, I think.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, each song sets up each section mm-hmm. really well, for sure. So that moves us on to song number five, the last song on side one, The Punk and the Godfather, once again written by Pete Townsend, sang by Daltrey, but Pete Townsend sings during the bridge. You know, it's basically about Jimmy going to see a band play, but he's really disappointed when he learns the band is basically just a bunch of phonies. They don't live up to what, they, you know, yeah. what they're singing about and what they mm-hmm. say they believe in. You know, Pete Townsend wrote this song about when he used to be a mod or so-called punk, right? Now he is the so-called godfather, right? The rock star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he's made that change and it's kind of playing off of that as you know, sometimes when you become famous,
2: then sometimes you give up your ideals for that. What are your thoughts, Austin, on the punk and the godfather? I think the biggest thing that stands out to me um, is the guitar and the bass on this. I think they both, they almost sing to each other. It's like they're having a conversation. They both take turns leading. And I think it sounds fantastic. What about you, Tyler? What do you think?
1: Oh, this is a beautiful song.
2: Saying that it's a beautiful song for being a
1: lyric guy, the instruments really drown out the lyrics, make it hard to understand sometimes. And... Yet, I don't feel lost. And that's uh, that's amazing. I mean, this, uh, this is the song where I really uh, found that Keith Moon is treating his drum set like a redheaded stepchild. He's just beating the crap out of it. I love Keith Moon. The guy plays the drums. He doesn't just... You know, drum along to keep time. He he plays the crap out of it, that And that's term, one so. thing, you know, famously that Pete Townsend hated about Keith Moon
0: mm-hmm. was most drummers do keep the time and the beat. Mm-hmm. And you can hear from Keith Moon's drumming that it's pretty tough to get any kind of timing off that because <laughs> there's no just simple beat laid down. I mean, he's filling every little open void with...
1: More than any drummer fills mm-hmm. those open voids with. There was this um, little interlude that they slowed down the tempo. And it seems like they did that in order to make Keith Moon ease up on the drums. But then as soon as they're done with that interlude, um, then he's right back at it again, just beating the crap out. <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah, you kind of get the feeling like <laughs> there's just no stopping him. Yeah. You know, I mean. He's, he's going to beat those he's, drums. He's going to do it. <laughs> and uh, what were your thoughts about uh The Punk and The Godfather. I kind of echo what Austin said. You know,
0: I love the guitar in this song, especially the intro, and it kicks into bass, too, and they do play really well together, especially in the pre-chorus. Right before the chorus, the the guitar and the bass sound excellent. You know, once Mm -hmm. again, the drumming is amazing in this thing. I like how they kind of have that computer-ish, it almost Mm -hmm. sounds like synth or something, where they're saying, my, my, my generation, you know, which kind of harkens back to, you know, one Mm -hmm. of the Who's first songs that made him popular. So, yeah, yeah, this is a good song. I I love everything about this one as well. So that finishes out side one of the four sides we're going to be covering. Do you guys want to get to side two? Let's do it. Side two. Okay, so side two opens up with I'm One, written and sang by Pete Townsend. And this is about Jimmy, you know, the protagonist and his four personalities and how they're a struggle. But he's basically in denial of this, even though he's aware of it, he's in denial of it. He's trying to convince himself that he's okay and that he has control over everything, but he doesn't and he never will. And I think he knows that. Pete Townsend wrote this once again about his early mod beginnings, how he started as a modster, his attempting to fit in with everyone. So that's kind of what this is about. What are your thoughts about
2: I'm One, Austin? I think it's a total 360 from the final song on side one, The Punk and the Godfather. But it's a good contrast. I think it really sets the tone for this side as well and just more of what's to come. And I don't think you can beat Pete Townsend's vocals either. No, they're they're right. Yeah, they're good. (laughs) It's awesome in this song. What about you, Tyler? What do you think? I
1: was shocked to hear the acoustic guitar for being such a heavy electric band, to have that classic acoustic guitar come out. And you're right, Austin, this comes across as more insecure and introspective, whereas the last one was more upset with the phonies on the outside. This song is more upset about the phonies on the inside. That being said, trying to fit in when you have mental illness, it's hard to fit in. Anyway, but when you have, like, some sort of mental illness, like split personalities or multiple personalities, and you're trying really hard to hide that so that you'll fit in and not be the odd one out, boy, it's so difficult. And yet, boy, this song really captures that. What do you think, Justin?
0: You know, it's really hard for me to name my favorite songs on this album because they all kind of fit together. This is all one piece together, but I'm one is definitely one of my favorite songs. And Pete does play a mean acoustic guitar and you do hear that throughout his career and he does an excellent job at it. And this is a song that the Pete Townsend vocals fits perfect. I've always loved this song. You know, I love when the song it's really slow at first with that acoustic, but then it really speeds up and the bass and drums kick in amazingly. So what can I say about that? a perfect song for Pete Townsend's vocals. It's got great imagery in the lyrics, you know, ill-fitting clothes, and I blend in the crowd, fingers too clumsy, voice too loud. It's it's like he knows that, you know, he's got his issues and he's not fitting in, but he's doing his best to, to do that. I mean, that's the struggles of any young man or woman, right? To fit in with yeah. everyone. But, mm-hmm. but then sometimes, you know, it seems like nowadays that's not as big of an issue. Now it's almost like you do something to not fit in to fit in. Does that make sense? Yeah. You do something completely crazy and that's the way you fit in Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Whereas
1: I think during these times it wasn't like that. You fit in with one group or the other, right? Yeah. There's a, let's see, one of the characteristics of adolescence in your maturing process is what's called the invisible audience. And so, you know, he's sitting there talking about being all clumsy and everything and you know speaking too loud he's noticing this and thinking oh everybody else is you know looking at me everybody else is noticing how clumsy i am and how loud i am too but really at some point when you grow out of this you become an adult you realize that everybody else is exactly the same as you are and you're not noticing all these flaws and the clumsiness of everybody else around you and you think well if i'm not noticing that about them maybe they're not noticing that about me and all of a sudden that invisible audience disappears so that
0: moves us on to the next song the dirty jobs written by pete townsend sang by Daltrey again it's about jimmy being frightened by his possible future and what things lie in his path, exploring the concept of the individuals, you know, how they find themselves trapped in a mundane, unfulfilling job, the toll it takes on them. Everybody knows this when you're <laughs> stuck in a job that's just not leading anywhere. And what's life worth? You know, shouldn't I be doing something I love? And it's kind of the thing that plays off, you know, it really this song speaks to the dehumanizing nature of some occupations that people find themselves in. The help. The
2: help, yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the dirty jobs, Austin? It's very interesting that even 50 years later, it's still very much applicable and relatable, even from across the ocean here in the U.S. But I think it's, it's very interesting with the current events that are going on, you know, people going on strike, um, just people not being happy with wages and stuff. I think it's very interesting that it's kind of relating to that. Yeah, we haven't come very far, have we? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, this song really sounds like
1: a call for revolution or strike. You know, the unions are coming, the unions are coming sort of thing. But this is really, see, there's some lines in there. He's like, if you let the man screw you, then it's all on you. You're the one who's going to suffer sort of thing you decide how poorly you're going to allow others to treat you including your superiors right and uh, what you won't put up because they need your uh, they need your labor as well what do you think justin
0: well you know i i kind of look at this two ways because you know as being a manager of a lot of people in the current times some people just don't simply want to work and they hate their job because it's work you know so you got to look at that That's in two ways because a lot of times you got to work your ass off to get somewhere mm-hmm. and prove a point at the same time so that there is a there is two sides to this story but i get it because there are people that are in dead end jobs they've been there for years and it's really what takes over their lives for jimmy having split personalities and having all these issues already this isn't good for him right no but as far as the the song the drumming is just playing crazy in this one again ant whistle plays the french horn which i'm not a french horn fan in any manner but the way the who use alternate instruments is perfect because they just give you little doses of them and they they fit in perfect and it's got decent bass especially at the end of this song. If you really pay attention to the ending of the song, the bass is really strong in this one. So another good song, another piece to the story. So that moves us on to Helpless Dancer, which this is the first of four theme songs explaining the different sides of Jimmy's personality. This one's Roger's theme. Of course, written by Pete Townsend and sang by Daltrey. And Roger's theme is describing his tough guy personality, Jimmy's tough guy personality, you know, which Roger kind of was the tough guy of the group. He was known to get into fights and things like that. And he was certainly the tough guy of the Who. The helpless dancer. The tough guy, helpless dancer, Roger Daltrey. It's all about prejudice and social differences within society and the power that different people have over you. One cool thing about this song, too, if you know The Who, right at the end, it does include the
2: intro to the song, The Kids Are All Right. What are your thoughts about Helpless Dancer, Austin? It's another great song. I think the intro to The Kids Are All Right at the end is a really cool kind of little tidbit or little little feature. Overall, though, I, I think it's a great song. I think it's cool that they're doing the, the themed things. Each of them have the four themes, and there's four different songs that explain that, and I think it's a cool way to start that out. What about you, Tyler? Yeah, I
1: really agree with you there, Austin, that these guys are laying out these themes, and they're doing it so well, and really capturing this whole concept. The title of the song, Helpless Dancer, it's uh, to juxtapose it with this tough guy theme, I mean, that's really... It, it's like... um you know, the, 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 the people that you see driving the big old muscle trucks down the road, right? Stack pickup trucks, they're right in your tail because they're tough. But <laughs> their truck gets hit by a train. And all of a sudden, they're a very helpless dancer. <laughs> Good boy. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it kind of remi- uh, reckons back there, or harkens back to this whole thing of we're all very fragile mortals. We like to be tough, and we're, we can be scrappy, and we can, you know, go and push people around that we can. Society as a whole will crush us like a worm. You know, we, we are so helpless. I love that uh, yelling at the end, you stop dancing. <laughs> what do you think about this song, Justin. This song is kind of interesting. It actually starts with the
0: horn and piano, which is different from the rest of their songs. Yeah. And if you'll notice the vocal, especially if you're listening on headphones, the vocal pans from left to right, and it keeps doing that. It's kind of yeah. kind of cool when you're listening to the vinyl or listening on a sound system. on On headphones, it's almost kind of annoying mm-hmm. just because... I don't like that heavy panning, but it doesn't yeah. do it very much, so it's okay, you know. But it's very politically incorrect. You're correct. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, it's got good acoustic guitar in this, especially when it kicks in. And speaking of politically incorrect, i surprised you didn't mention anything about, you know, Disappear, like the lesbian and queers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, that <laughs> has that. That little tidbit in it, which I don't know if that'd make it in today's uh, woke world. No, I think these guys would get canceled. Definitely this song probably would. Mm -hmm. And you don't even know if that's against them or not. I think it's just saying that, you know, I don't know what it's referring to, but. Well, that's kind of the funny
1: thing is back then you had to just take it. You had to put up with that older generation being racist and being, you know, phobic or whatever. Yeah. But nowadays we've turn the tables on them, so no, we, we cancel people that are racist and homophobic. Or
0: You just wish there was some happy in-between, right? Mm-hmm. So the next song is Is It In My Head, another song, of course, written by Pete Townsend, sang by Roger Daltrey, but uh, during the chorus, John Entwistle sings, part where he actually says, is it in my head? You know, that's that's uh, John Entwistle, oh. and this is about Jimmy seeing you know, a man without a problem, quote unquote, and wonders how this is possible when the world has so many problems. It does really address Jimmy's ongoing mental health issues that he's having, you know, that his head is empty, yet every word he every word he says turns out a sentence, which that's part of the lyrics. You know, it's it's kind of interesting looking into Jimmy, wondering do other people have the same problems I'm having or is am I making this all up? What are your
2: thoughts of is it in my head, Austin? Not being very lyrical, I still think it's very easy to follow and tells a story very well, just like this whole album has this far. Um, and I also do enjoy getting a nice little surprise of whistle in the chorus. That's That's a nice little surprise. What about you, Tyler? What do you think? And Whistle. usually I, I think I
1: recognize his voice. This time I didn't, because he he just blended with Daltrey. <laughs> and see, I always yeah. thought Aunt Whistle, especially in this, sounded more like Pete Townsend. I'm just kind of blown away by this song. I'm going extremely heavily psychological on this. No, that's not like you at all. I know. This person, uh, Jimmy, is perceiving a man without a problem. Well, it's not possible. Everybody has problems. It's just that this man deals with his problems in a different way and carries himself in a way to hide those problems, so that he doesn't—he's not perceived as having problems.
0: Yeah, but is Jimmy? I mean, this is all in his head, anyways. There are all these problems Jimmy's having? Is he?
1: Showing them to the world? You that, know, I mean, that's yeah, the other question. You exactly. Know? So that's the uh, other side of this conversation is, yeah, uh, is this guy exactly the same as Jimmy is, you know, does this guy have these problems or is Jimmy just a failure at hiding those problems or dealing with them the way this guy does? And good questions uh, to think about to see how much of this is just normal human behavior and how much of this is mental illness, because I think there's a combination of both. What are your thoughts about this song?
0: Well, like Austin said, it's it's hard to miss the lyrics and what they're talking about. I mean, if you sit down and listen to it at all, it's pretty apparent of what's going on. Musically, you know, it, it starts out with piano and acoustic guitar, which I really like on this. This song probably has the most subdued drumming on on the album, but also at the same time, Keith Moon can't help himself. So it's not that subdued. But, compared to others so far, it's got good little uh guitar licks that really accentuate the song and i I really like the way Pete Townsend does it. I really lean on that lyric. I see a man without a problem because that's what Jimmy is perceiving as a man without a problem, you know, yeah. and maybe that man looks at Jimmy and sees another man without a problem. That's kind of what it's all about, right yeah. and that's kind of the thing Is it in my head so he I think he's noticing the are these mental issues, am I making them up, or are they real? Even if you make them up, they, they're real if they feel real. So that moves us to the next song, I've Had Enough, another song written by Pete Townsend. This one's sang by both Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend. And this song really makes it sound like it's an argument between all of Jimmy's four different personalities. And, and it basically ends in his contemplation of suicide. He does finally take a positive step by deciding he's going to go to Brighton and the Sea and search for his so-called spiritual unity, whatever that may be. I really like the lyrics in it, like I did make this one note. You were under the impression that when you were walking forward, you'd end up further onward, but things aren't quite that simple. And so that's also the pessimistic view of it,
2: right? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on I've Had Enough, Austin? I enjoy um, Daltrey and Pete Townsend singing together again. I'll always love songs where they're singing together, but I think this one tells a great story lyrically once again, just like all these songs. I think it. I think the aspect of him kind of having a conversation with his four different personalities, like you mentioned, is, is a very cool aspect of it. And I, I like this song. It's also a cool mix of songs, I feel like, like some of these other songs on here as well. Uh, what do you think, Tyler? Yeah,
1: this song, The Keyboard really paints a picture of this song for me. because this really is this inner struggle this inner battle and the the way that they sing it's almost almost like a ballad this little interlude where they take on kind of a, a folk song type thing sort of thing you just uh sing playing an acoustic guitar sitting around up a campfire this song is a showdown in spite of that i like how that comes through what were your thoughts about this one justin I really like this. And once again, Austin kind of hit it on the head
0: what I was going to say. I really like when Daltrey and Townsend share vocals because it really splits the song down. And it, and it really makes, especially when you look at what the song is kind of supposed to be about, is him fighting his own personalities. You know, you could almost had all four people singing on this and mm-hmm. would have made really good. It, it, this song does kick in with a drum intro. And then a little electric guitar comes after that. It's got good galloping b- bass line in it that I really like. I think the thing that stands out on this one is the Pete Townsend vocal. And my God, the, the drums, once again, are absolutely amazing in this song the fills are just crazy. I don't know how the guy keeps up. I love the different pieces of this song. I And I really do like that Pete Townsend vocal, you know, when he gets in that. I I ride a GS scooter with my haircut neat. I really like that portion of the song. And then at the end, it really harkens back, or harkens and kind of forewarns you of love, rain or me. You hear that at the end. And so... And you get a lot of that in this album where the songs are either foreshadowing songs or hearkening back to them or whatever. And it, it's kind of neat the way it all plays together. And it's almost like you're in Jimmy's head the whole time and what he's thinking and, you know, looking forward to optimistically, what things he's pessimistic about and what things he's struggling with.
1: Right. And I love that uh, message of the lyric where he says that, you know, You were under the impression that you were walking forward and if, if, or that when you're walking forward, you'd end up further forward, but it's really not that simple. You're not just uh, on like uh, stable ground. You're on a treadmill. So unless you're walking faster forward than the treadmill's uh, trying to drag you backward, you're losing ground and it, it won't make sense to you because, well, you're walking forward. You're just not walking fast enough forward. Yeah, exactly. So what we're going to do this week is something different. Uh, This was just too much album for one week's episode, so we're splitting this up into two weeks' episodes. Next week, we'll be back to review the second vinyl record, Side 1 and Side 2, or as it's called, Side 3 and Side 4. We will, at that time, give you our album ratings, as well as our winners and losers. But in the meantime... You can reach out to us and
0: send us an email at classicvinylpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com. Let us know what you think.
1: Until next time, see you later. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to Classic Vinyl Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Classic Vinyl Podcast for updates and also share us with your music-loving friends. we okay.